It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you. We've got two big segments we have to get to. First, we need to talk about Deion Dawkins and his contract extension, and then we need to talk about the Bills' special teams. We're going to tackle the tough questions when it comes to the Bills' special teams. So if you only came to listen to me talk about Deion Dawkins, I'd encourage you to stick around for the special teams discussion. We have a ton of great questions that have been submitted and I have some nuggets that we need to get into that I think are important in the way we look at this roster entering training camp and some things that could decide some position battles so I hope you'll listen all the way through and not just uh, stay tuned for the Deion Dawkins discussion which we will lead off with because the Bills signed their left tackle Deion Dawkins to a four-year extension worth 60 million dollars 26 years old, the second-round pick out of Temple. Uh, You guys remember this? The Bills traded up for Dawkins. They traded up from pick 75 to get to pick 63. Of course, with 63, they picked Dawkins. They gave up two fifth-round picks to do this. Seems like a good idea now that we have the benefit of hindsight. Deion Dawkins has been a three-year starter at left tackle for the Bills. 43 starts at left tackle, two playoff starts, which – is really great experience to have under his belt uh, coming against the Jaguars in 2017 and, of course, the Texans in 2019. He has two touchdown catches. That's fun. Um, he's a team captain. You love that, a guy that in his third season in the NFL, a, a team captain, and that comes on the heels of a of a down year in his second season. He had a very promising start in 2017 as a rookie, played really well, took a step back in 2018, and I think there's a a pretty reasonable explanation in terms of the way uh, he performed in 2018, going from having Richie Incognito and all-pro as your left guard, and of course Eric Wood at center, to Vlad Dukas, Russell Bodine, Wyatt Teller, you know, it just wasn't the ideal players to have next to him, and you know, I, I think offensive linemen make each other better, and when you go from that type of a support an incognito to a revolving door of replacement-level players below average depth pieces that are starting next to you in your second season. Uh, It's disappointing, but you have to love the way he bounced back, changed his diet, worked his ass off, became a team captain, and then refound his form last season. And now he's signed 
a four-year extension worth $60 million. I like that he's an ascending player, and I like that he has a brand, right? I mean, offensive linemen aren't always guys that you look at and think this is a player that has a great connection with the fan base, but Deion Dawkins with his social media presence, his personality, uh, the way he interacts with fans, he has that piece of it too. So it's not that he's just a good football player. It's how he fits into the locker room as a team leader and his ability to connect with the fan base, I think is really, really outstanding in terms of that $60 million, 15 million on average a season. That's going to make Deion Dawkins the seventh highest paid offensive tackle in football. And I think that's okay. Maybe that seems a little bit rich. You probably don't think of Deion Dawkins right now as a top 10 left tackle in the NFL. And I certainly wouldn't make an argument that he is. I do think that he's uh, slightly above average left tackle, probably in that 12-13 range when you stack them all up. But here's what it comes down to. When you sign guys to extensions, you know, there's a part of it where they are going to be a little overpaid, but as the market continues to reset, things normalize. And so for maybe the first year, Dawkins might be paid higher than he is in terms of his status as a tackle in the NFL, but in the next two off-seasons, starting with this off-season coming up, the 2021 off-season, Ronnie Stanley with the Ravens and David Bakhtiari are both going to become free agents, and they are both going to be in the running to reset the offensive tackle market. Right now, the highest-paid offensive tackle is Laramie Tunsil with the Houston Texans at $22 million. I'd be willing to bet you Stanley and Bakhtiari get more than that. Well, all of a sudden, you have a situation where Dawkins is no longer the seventh-highest-paid tackle. He's the ninth-highest-paid tackle. You also have Taylor Decker and, and um, Taylor Moton, two really good offensive linemen. Uh, Decker with the Lions, Moton with the Char- or with the Panthers, excuse me. They're probably going to have a deal around what Dawkins makes, $15, $16 million a season. Then in the 2022 offseason, you have another long list of really good offensive tackles, several of which will get paid more than Deion Dawkins. I'll throw some names at you. Orlando Brown with the Ravens. Ryan Ramchek with the Saints. He's going to be uh, uh, definitely in the 20s. He's one of the best offensive linemen of the game, maybe the best right tackle. Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers. Taron Armstead from the Saints. Colton Miller with the Raiders. Mitchell Schwartz with the Chiefs. Brian O'Neill with the Vikings. So within two years here, as all these offensive tackles get new deals, Dawkins is going to be paid more like the 12th, 13th probably. Highest paid offensive tackle, and then you know it's a very normal valuation for the type of player that he is. So uh, maybe it seems a little high for him right now, but I think within a year or two, two years tops, Deion Dawkins will normalize in terms of where he's paid. And so I, I, I don't bat an eye at the amount. As you guys can probably recall, we've talked about what an extension for Dawkins could look like, and we figured – or I at least have articulated that I expected it to be in this range. Um, Some other thoughts here. Obviously, you love that the Bills are keeping their own, right? Remember back when head coaches used to resign on the Bills and whenever good players on rookie deals became free agents, they left? Well, not these Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott just signed a six-year extension. Uh, Deion Dawkins just signed a a four-year extension that's going to keep him – 
with the franchise for the long haul. He's the franchise left tackle, a second round pick, and you love to see them rewarding their own. And again, kind of we we describe the type of personality that he is to keep that guy around. Uh, you have to love that. Um, sends a great message, obviously, that if you perform, if you do your job, they're going to keep you. And, and you love that piece of it as well. One question that I kept on getting on Twitter is, does this mean they that Matt Milano's gone? Can the Bills also get Milano's deal done? To which I would say, um, I don't know. If the bill, if the salary cap was not going down to as low as 175 million when expectations were for it to be around 210, 215 next year, I would say, yeah, absolutely, Milano's back. But I do think this deal for Dawkins and the declining cap does complicate that. Again, we know the floor is 175. It could be higher. Now, there's things that the Bills can do from a release perspective. They can cut certain players off of the team right now that will create low rollover cap space that will help them for next year's cap and their ability to retain a Matt Milano. And so you look at guys like Trent Murphy. We've talked about his $8 million. You look at guys like Ty Insecki, guys that you can cut, create rollover cap space. Guys like Steven Hauschka, we'll get to him in just a minute, but the Bills can cut him and save $2.5 million. These are all things that will help the Bills keep Milano. And then obviously we need things to get normal again and for the salary cap to restore the levels that we expect it to be because this isn't just a Matt Milano thing, it's a Tremaine Edmonds thing, it's a Trey White thing, it's a Josh Allen thing, it becomes an Ed Oliver thing. All the young players that are deserving of, of contract extensions you know, it becomes more challenging. So we th- we need things to normalize. Uh, that way the Bills can retain their players. But, you know, it does become a situation where I don't think the Bills will be able to keep everyone. And you saw that. The Bills have already started not keeping everyone. Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, those guys walked, right? They signed with other teams. Pretty sizable deals. Now, I think that was more of a choice that the Bills made, and they said, We'll see you later, Phillips and Lawson. We'd much rather have Epinesa and Jefferson and Butler and Addison. We, we like all of those players instead of you. But it does come down to the possibility here that things get tight and they won't be able to keep everyone. We're not just talking about Matt Milano, right? It's not just Matt Milano. It's these other players down the line. But you know, in the past several off seasons, we've seen Brandon Bean quite aggressive in free agency. Look at the look at the players he's brought in. Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, all those offensive linemen, Quentin Spain. You know, they, all those defensive linemen this year. He's he's bringing in guys. So, you know, things are going to be a lot more quiet on the free agent front, and that's okay. Keep your own, continue to draft well. And I will always remind you that getting production out of rookies, is so important to your ability to sustain success in the NFL. You have to be able to get some cheap labor. The way you do that is you hit on draft picks. And the reason, a big reason why the Bills are in the position they are in right now, it's, it is a lot of the free agents that they brought in. It is a lot of the trades. But it's also because Brandon Bean has hit on draft picks and they've had players that have been outperforming their deals for a while now. So, uh, 
obviously I'm very happy for Deion Dawkins. I think it was a good move by Brandon Bean. I thought it fell in the range that I expected it to, uh, but it will be interesting to sit here and see how things fall moving forward. You know, I, I know that that second linebacker spot is an important one in Sean McDermott's defense, um, but you know, I, I can't sit here and say right now confidently that I believe Matt Milano is definitely going to be re-signed. I think that they clearly showed us that Dawkins was the priority. And we'll see how things fall. And a big piece of that could be the uh, how things go in terms of the cap and where, where it winds up falling. That's going to play a big role in it. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's tackle the tough questions when it comes to the Bills special teams. We'll start like we have the other positions by looking at the contract situation when it comes to the Bills specialists. Steven Hauschka, the Bills kicker, he's owed $3 million this year, $3.2 million next year. Again, the Bills can cut Steven Hauschka and save $2.5 million. Reed Ferguson, the Bills long snapper, he signed through 2021, $975K this year, $1.1 million next year. Corey Bohorquez, the Bills punter, $750,000 this year. He's a restricted free agent after the season. Tyler Bass, the Bills kicker that they drafted, uh, he signed through 2023, 656000 this year, 826000 next year, 941000 in 2022, and $1.1 million in 2023. And then Kari Vedvik, the guy they brought in to compete with Corey Bohorquez at, at punter, he signed for two seasons, 616000 this year, 786000 in 2021. He's an exclusive rights free agent in 2022. Let me start by saying this. I want to get into your questions here in just a moment. You guys sent in a ton of good ones and I'm really excited to to dig into them, but I do want to make you aware of something that I uncovered here as I kind of did some research for this podcast. When you look at the Bills top 10 players when it comes to special team snaps in 2019, You're going to see some names here that aren't on the team anymore. And the Bills, according to Pro Football Focus, they had the fifth best special teams collectively in the NFL last year. Well, let's look at this list of players, and I'll tell you who's on it and who's not back. Because, again, the Bills' top 10 special team snaps, the guys who played the most special team snaps, number one, Julian Stanford. He's gone. Daryl Johnson, number two. Saran Neal, number three. Now, Daryl Johnson, I wanted to highlight him. He played the second most special team snaps, and he played 22% of the Bills' defensive snaps last year. So if the Bills were to move on from Trent Murphy, free up that $8 million, that helps you with rollover cap. Daryl Johnson, I, I continue to tell you, don't sleep on this guy because he's a four-phase special teams player, and he also got run with the defense. He should take a jump from year one to year two, so don't sleep on that. Again, he played the second most special team snaps of anybody on the Bills last year. Saran Neal at number three. Lorenzo Alexander, he's number four. 
he's not around. Number five, Kevin Johnson, he's on the Browns. Number six, Kirk Coleman, he's not around. Number seven, Sonoris Perry, he's not around. Number eight, Corey Thompson. So that's something that gives us a clue maybe as to when we're figuring out which backup linebackers make the team. Well, Corey Thompson played the eighth most special team snaps for the team last year, four phases, 202 collective total snaps. Jaquan Johnson, number nine, and Patrick DeMarco, number 10. So as we look at this right now, Stanford at one, Lorenzo Alexander, four, Kevin Johnson, five, Kirk Coleman, six, Sonoris Perry, seven. Those those guys, they're not around anymore. Potentially, Daryl Johnson, a bubble player. Saran Neal, perhaps a bubble player. Jaquan Johnson, maybe a bubble player. Patrick DeMarco, maybe a bubble player. You could have a lot of different guys here. That's what I'm trying to communicate here. This could look very different. It already is because you already have half of the top 10 gone, including one, four, five, six, and seven. So Heath Farwell has some work to do in kind of piecing this back together. Now, the Bills do have, I think, a fair amount of what I would call core special teams players that, you know, really they they play a certain position, but not really. They're more on the team for what they can do on special teams and Taiwan Jones at running back, Andre Roberts at wide receiver, Robert Foster at wide receiver, Daryl Johnson at defensive end, Tyler Medikavich. They just paid him big money to be a special teams player. You think that he kind of steps right into that Julian Stanford role. So there's a, a, a how you replace Stanford. It's, it's definitely Tyler Medikavich. And then of course, Saran Neal. But I think, when you look at Taiwan Jones, when you look at Tyler Medikavich, those guys have important shoes to fill when it comes to stepping in for Sonoris Perry and Julian Sta- Julian Stanford, who played a, a lot of special team snaps, over 500 special team snaps combined between those two players last year. So there's some, some ground to make up here, and there's going to be some new players uh, that are going to be playing a lot on teams. They're going to be running down, chasing down kicks and punts, and blocking on kicks and punts, and they weren't doing that last year for this team. So uh, there is a bit of turnover. We talk about the continuity of the Bills football team, and I think it's it's going to matter a lot that Heath Farwell is back in year two as a full-time special teams coordinator. But one area where there's not a lot of continuity could potentially be special teams, and we haven't even talked about kickers and punters because the Bills very well could have a different kicker and punter this year. So we like that, that we we're really comfortable on offense and defense. A lot of turnover potentially here when it comes to special teams. All right, let's get to your questions. First one from B Mormon 2020. How could we possibly do a special teams pod without, you know, B Mormon giving us a question? So here's what he's got. He said, who are the best free agent or maybe soon to be free agent punters available right now? I'd love to see some more competition at the position. And the first three weeks of the season are probably the only time that the team will have to get it right. The schedule gets tough quickly after that. You know, I'm afraid the Bills, in terms of this year, the competition for Corey Bohorquez is Kari Vedvik. And Kari Vedvik, um, a guy that's tried to be a dual player, a kicker and punter, maybe now that he's only focused on punting that he can settle in and find himself, but he has not been consistent as a kicker or a punter. Obviously, we know Corey Bohorquez isn't consistent. Corey Bohorquez is one of the worst punters in football. He's a bottom three punter in the NFL. There's now EPA for punters, and, and Corey Bohorquez slots in the bottom three. Okay, he's one of the worst punters in the game. 
He had the lowest net average last year. He had the most kicks that went for a touchback last year. I know that he set the record for punts inside the 20 for a Bills punter, but I'd argue those punts inside the 20 were pretty low quality. It's not like he's pinning teams at the 10 or the 5. We're talking about the 18-17 a lot of times. It was the Bills punted and they were really looking to pin a team deep, and yeah, it's inside the 20, but it's the 19-yard line. I mean, that, that come on. Like he just he has no control over his leg. He'll boom one from time to time. He hits line drives. He's a terrible punter. And they didn't give him real competition in my mind in Kari Vedvik. But again, if he if he can find himself as a punter only, uh, maybe there's some hope there. So naturally, B. Mormon wants to know if there's some some options out there. I'm afraid there's not in terms of this year. I think they have their guy in you know in Bohorquez and Vedvik. Now the free agent class of punters for 2021. There's some guys here, but I don't know that they're upper echelon punters. I think they're middling punters. Kevin Huber with the Bengals. Um, Jordan Berry with the Steelers. Pat O'Donnell with the Bears. Those are the three guys that are unrestricted free agents that the Bills could pay. But you're talking about committing probably $2 million to them? Just draft a punter. That's what I would do. I'd friggin' draft one. You already have the worst punter in the game. I mean, what what are you going to get? You're also going to continue having the worst punter in the game. Give yourself a chance to upgrade it. But uh, you know my concerns over Corey Bohorquez have have not subsided at all, unfortunately. And I think I think the the good part about it, I I, I struggle saying good. The the part that uh, is different is I I'm not alone on it. I think everybody gets it now. We saw we saw the whole year of Corey B. And, you know, last year it was just me griping about it all preseason long. And then also, you know, as the season goes along, I've, I've, I've got this bandwagon with me of guys that understand that this, this guy's, this guy's hurting the football team. He's hurting the football team because he can't flip the field. He can't put the ball where it needs to go. And to me, it's not a little thing. It's a big thing. Those yards are right there. They're not hidden. They're right there. Tim says (laughs) we have Brought in Kari Vedvik to compete with Corey Bohorquez as a punter. I see that Vedvik has punter experience from college despite being primarily a kicker in the NFL. Historically, how successful are players at transitioning transitioning into the different role, kicker to punter and punter to kicker? And can we realistically expect Vedvik to beat Corey B to starting to the starting punter role? Thank you. Um, you know, I think maybe this, uh, I can apply some of my philosophy from that last question that I dealt with and that if you already have a bottom tier punter, what's the risk in trying something else? You know, um, I'm anxious to see what Vedvik does as a, as a punter only. Let me tell you this. I had an opportunity a couple years ago, uh, to have dinner with a former NFL kicker and, um, I asked him the question. I said, you know, look, why aren't there more hybrid guys? Why aren't there more guys that can kick and punt? I think that would be so valuable to teams if you can combine that roster spot into one and keep an extra corner or receiver offensive lineman or something like that. He said, it's, he said, it's just, it's too much of a thing where there's nuance and technique. And if you do more than one, you know, you're you're just you're going to decline at both, and that's why nobody does it. That's why Vedvik failed at it. 
That's why some teams had a, a kickoff specialist, just so that there's their place kickers aren't thinking about you know how, how driving up all that that distance on the leg and working on those big booming kickoffs, and they can just focus on being accurate with field goals. These guys are specialists, and they do what they do, and they can't be combined into one role. So I say all that to say that maybe Vedvik, as a guy who stripped the kicking thing, um, can find himself as a punter. But again, he can't be worse than Corey Bajorquez. So, okay, I mean, roll him out there. I don't care. I, I know what Corey Bajorquez is. He's bad. Uh, Jimmy and Doug had similar questions here as we kind of shift now to the kicking situation. Uh, Jimmy says, with the shortened offseason and no fans, doesn't that give Tyler Bass a leg up? Pun intended. If there was an opportunity to take a chance on a rookie, it's this year considering cap savings, but most importantly, not as much pressure playing in road games without fans. McBean obviously likes him, so back up your draft pick and play him. It's really interesting because I think on one hand you can sit here and say, well, there's no preseason games. There's no fans. How are they really going to get an opportunity to evaluate Tyler Bass in game-like situations? And Jimmy says, well, maybe that's a, that's an advantage. Maybe that's an advantage because the whole season is going to be played basically without fans. So go put that guy out there. These situations aren't quite as pressureful because there's not you know 70,000 people looking at you trying to kick a field goal. I do think Sean McDermott will have to find ways to create pressure situations because whether there's fans there or not, it's still an important moment, right? I mean, like the the game has implications. The you know the crowd noise and people being there won't be there, but it's still high pressure, and so Sean McDermott probably has a lot easier of a time replicating that um, in pra- in practice situations. You know, you can't get seventy thousand people to watch you kick a ball, but you can replicate those situations a little bit better because there's really not going to be fans in the stands this year. So it's a hell of a, I think it's a hell of an angle, Jimmy. I I really appreciate the the thought there. And I do think that is helpful when you really think about it. Doug says for the special team show, can you see Tyler Bass winning the kicking competition with no preseason? I don't want to carry two kickers on the roster. I don't want to cut Bass and expose him to teams in need of a kicker scooping him up. See Dustin Hopkins to the Washington football team. Do you think the bills would take a chance on the rocket leg or do you see McDermott valuing the steady veteran? So this is basically, you know, who do I think is going to win this kicking job? Steven Hauschka has made, Less than 80% of his field goals the last two years. 78% the last two years. That's a bad percentage. He's one of five from beyond 50 last year. The Bills had two chances in that playoff game to kick a field goal of 57 one time and one of 59 yards to win the game. They chose not to do it. I think McDermott's going to want to side with that distance and that leg. He's going to learn that going for it is good. And fourth down, and that aggressiveness last year paid off for him. But when he really needs to lean on a kicker, he needs a guy that's got enough juice in his leg to get the ball over the pipes. Hauschka couldn't hit from beyond 50, and he lost the confidence from distance. Now, I know that he's perfectly fine inside of 50, you know, and and you worry about that when it comes to putting Bass in there. But, you know, you drafted this guy. You, you, you invested a draft pick. It's not like you just threw it out there. Like you, you you said a lot. You said a lot about the way you think about Steven Hauschka when you invested a draft pick on Tyler Bass. I think he's got the inside track. 
I mean, if things are close, I think it goes to Bass. I think if it's even slightly advantage Hauschka, I think it goes to Bass. You get younger and cheaper. And again, we can't understate the $2.5 million in savings that you get from cutting Steven Hauschka. Mike says, do you see a scenario where the Bills keep both Hauschka and Tyler Bass? Bass would handle kickoff duties and 50-plus yard field goals, while Hauschka would take care of every kick under 50 yards. I think with the limited camp and preseason, it would be difficult to know how Bass will handle pressure situations, and therefore I would I would be a little uncomfortable with him attempting a potential game-winning kick early in the season. At the same time, I think if we expose Bass to the practice squad, there'd be a good chance we'd lose him to waivers. I know it might be hard to justify carrying two kickers, but I think in the long run, Bass has too much upside to lose him to waivers and for nothing. No, I, I, I re- I'd have a hard time with keeping two kickers. If you're going to play these gymnastics, I'll be honest with you, I'd rather them keep Vedvik and Hauschka. Hauschka's your kicker from 45 and in, and Vedvik's your long-distance kicker when you really feel like you need to take a chance, and he's your punter. But I don't like that either. I think they need to pick whichever one in terms of the, you know, Kari Vedvik or Corey Bohorquez, pick whichever punter you think is better from evaluating them, but I think it is a bit of a roll of the dice with Bass, but what do you, what do you, what are you holding on to? A guy that's made 78% of his field goals the last two years and doesn't have distance. So it's like you, you're already kind of in that concerning, declining bottom tier kicker. Like what's the concern that you let go of a bottom tier kicker and you continue to have a bottom tier kicker? Now I don't want to turn in the Titans. The Titans were eight of eighteen on field goals last year for the season. Went through five kickers. That's my nightmare. I don't want that at all. Maybe you try to put Hauschka on the practice squad. You got sixteen spots. Maybe that's the thing. You know what? We'll take our chances. We'll roll with Tyler Bass. That'll be our starting kicker. We'll cut Hauschka. If he gets scooped up, then it is what it is. But if not, we put him on the practice squad. Food for thought. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Darren says, my question is how many touchdowns, if any, do you think we will see this year from Andre Roberts? I believe he will have two returns this year. No data, just a fan feeling. All right, Darren. So, you know, I had to look at the numbers and see what, the normal year for Andre Roberts is last year. He had none. As we all know, he had two in 2018. He had none in 2017. He had two in 2016. Seems like every other year he gets two. So while you say you didn't have any data, 
kind of did. I'll say he gets one. I'm not going to predict two. I think he gets one. And that's just guessing, right? I mean, I don't have any like basis for that. I mean, he has five career returns for touchdowns in his career. Uh, every other year he has two. Every other year he has zero for the last four. Give me one this year. I think that's a logical guess that makes sense in my head. Maxwell says, a question for special teams. Hopefully it doesn't come to this, but say Andre Roberts gets injured. I assume McKenzie Foster or some other player returns kicks. What would be your top three options for return, man, if Roberts goes down? Uh, First of all, I feel like I need to remind everyone that I think Andre Roberts is awesome, and I think he's a super important player for this football team. He's a sure handler of the football on punts. He was like top five in kick return and punt return average last year. I mean, he's a high-quality football player that when it's time for him to go field a punt, he does it perfectly, and he gets the yards that, that you can ask for in a kick. And that is so important. Remember the days of trouting out Isaiah McKenzie and Ray Ray McLeod, guys that can't field the ball, guys that misjudge it, guys that let it bounce 15 yards the other way. You don't ever deal with that with Roberts. I think he's a very important football player on the team. And if I were a head coach, I would always, always, always have a player just like Andre Roberts that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is going to be reliable every single time with ball handling on punts and kicks. So I felt like I needed to pound the table one more time for Andre Roberts. Now, if he goes down, I get nervous. On kicks, I would say Taiwan Jones. He has experience doing that. Uh, Robert Foster's number two. Number three, I would use a free agent pickup for somebody. On punts, Micah Hyde would be my next option and I just asked him to go back there and fair catch it and then I mean there's nobody else on the team that really has experience returning punts you have to go sign somebody so that's concerning to me I mean honestly I think this this question from Maxwell really triggered in my mind a concern for for return depth and I I guess that's something you live with right like you're just not going to be deep everywhere but Taiwan Jones really the only guy on a kick return perspective that has experience Punt returns Micah Hyde. I know you guys are probably thinking, well, Joe, what about Isaiah McKenzie? The dude can't field. He's a terrible ball handler, and he's a terrible punt fielder. Like, no, I'd rather put nobody back there than Isaiah McKenzie, to be completely candid with you. I'm not even kidding. I would rather have nobody than Isaiah McKenzie because I know that nobody is not going to muff it or fumble. Joshua says, you mentioned on your Twitter Wednesday podcast that McDermott doesn't want Saran Neal to play defense and that he's a decent special teamer. Is it really worth losing roster depth at a certain position for guys that are primarily only wanted for special teams? For a thin position group like safety, the depth has me concerned. First time writing in, love the Bills content. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Joshua. So, yes, I did say that. I said that Saran Neal, that ideally Sean McDermott doesn't want Saran Neal playing defense. And that was a lot about me trying to tell everyone that Taron Johnson is the slot corner. And when he's healthy, Saran Neal did not see the field on defense. But I do think he is a good special teams player. I will say that Saran Neal is trained to play slot corner and he is trained to play safety. And I think that brings a lot of value to the football team. As far as safety depth goes, goes, I'm quite comfortable with the safety depth. I mean, you have Dean Marlowe, who's been in Sean McDermott's system since 2015. You have Jaquan Johnson, who was a flashy player in preseason. I know he has his limitations, but as your fourth safety, you could do a whole lot worse. Plus, you have Saran Deal that's trained to play safety as well. So I feel good about the Bills' safety depth. 
I do think that Saran Neal's versatility on defense, in addition to his special teams uh, role, makes him a, a very much a roster worthy player. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's the nature of nature of roster construction is that you have players that you don't want them to play defense for you or offense, but they exist for special teams. Taiwan Jones has made a career for the last nine years with 56 carries as a running back in his career, but because of what he can do on special teams. Tyler Madikiewicz is getting paid $3 million a year because he because of what he can do on special teams for the Bills. Tyler Madikiewicz, you don't want that guy ever playing defense for you. When people tell you that he's the backup Mike Linebacker, they don't know a thing about Tyler Madikiewicz and the football player that he is. You don't want that guy ever playing defense for you. In his four years in Pittsburgh, he played... 2% of the defensive snaps in 2016, 6% in 2017, 5% in 2018, and 2% in 2019. He played 16 defensive snaps last year. He got $3 million a season to come to the Bills and play special teams. He's not the backup Mike Linebacker. I promise you he's not the backup Mike Linebacker. You don't want that guy ever to step field of Step on the field when it's time for defense. And that's from a Pittsburgh team that ran a 3-4 where you can hide a limited downhill thumping linebacker. You think he's playing Mike Linebacker and Sean McDermott's 4-3 defense? Not a chance. So that's just the nature of the league. You just you have players like this that exist for special teams. They have long careers and good for them. But Saran Neal is, I mean, I think a, even more than just a special teams player because while you don't want him to play defense for you, just like you don't want any of your reserves to ever have to play because you want your starters to always be healthy, the fact that he is trained at both spots and is a good special teams player makes him roster-worthy for me. Uh, last one comes from Jeff who says, do you think Reggie Gilliam makes this team on his special teams alone and possibly replaces DeMarco at fullback? Gilliam led college last year and blocked kicks, if I can remember correctly. We all know how much Bean values special teams considering his signing of Tyler this offseason. Look, I think it's possible. I know that's crazy. What gives me a lot of pause, like if the Bills just had some regular fullback that, you know, wasn't considered like a team leader and you didn't feel like Sean McDermott loved them, I'd say yeah, because I feel like replacing that guy in terms of their role at fullback is super easy. Plus you get a guy that's like been unbelievable on special teams in college. So when you strip it down and you just take away from like what I think Patrick DeMarco is as a football player and what I think Reggie Gilliam is as a football player, I'm going to side with Gilliam. He's cheaper and he has this special teams pedigree that's perfect for like this situational fullback type player that you're going to put out there. But then you like when you try to be predictive and you really think about Pat DeMarco and how much Sean McDermott values his leadership and those types of things, it, it it's it's concerning to me in really predicting him to not make the roster. So I'll answer it like this. I can see a course to this happening, but I'd be a little surprised. But I'd also wouldn't be completely surprised if that makes sense. I do think, Jeff, you make some good points here, understanding Tyler Medikevich, uh, who he is, Brandon Bean, and how much he values teams, and how that could give Gilliam the upper the upper hand. But at the same time, I mean, Pat DeMarco plays teams as well. Patrick DeMarco, number 10 on special team snaps for the Bills last year, 162 of them. So uh, he actually graded quite poorly, though, <laughs> as a special teams player. I think it's got a chance. It's got a chance.
All right, folks, that'll do it for us today here on this podcast. I love this. I love talking special teams. You guys brought great questions to the table uh, and had a good time here. I had a good time this week on this podcast. We tackled a lot of tough questions. We answered a lot of the Twitter Tuesday questions. We talked about rebranding Twitter Tuesday. We got a Sean McDermott extension. We got a Deion Dawkins extension. So we've we've talked about a lot here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for um, you know finding value in this podcast and listening to it. If you do find value, I'd love for you to leave me a review, a five-star rating, and a couple of sentences in the review column. It's always so, so helpful and appreciated uh, for me to get feedback, but also for you know prospective listeners to know what they're getting into if they were to push play on this podcast. So I would love for you to take a moment and uh, leave that review on whatever podcasting medium you listen to. That's going to do it, folks. As always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, and rate. Look forward to catching up with you again on Monday. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.